I cannot underestimate the importance of what's happening right now. At the end of the day, this commodity, the capacity for us to release everything to him is, is the greatest indicator. Now, I know, I know sometimes you can make movements outward that are not inward, but the capacity to do it all from the deepest part of your being to the most external part of your being, the ability to harness every part of who you are and lay it before him and give him the glory to his name. That's, that's a litmus test of what's happening in the secret places of your heart. But you know, this morning as, as we're doing this, I, I get this impression when I was about, I, uh, let me see, grade four, what is that? I was about eight, nine years old or something. And uh, in, our, in our area in Quebec, there was a sump hole, a sinkhole that opened up. It took out a half of a town, like a whole neighborhood. It was, it, it was huge. And it just sucked in everything all around, houses and streets and people and cars. I mean, it's a, it's a terrible thing in that sense. But I tell you what, there's something that happens when a people begin to worship and a door opens. A door opens and suddenly it begins to pull everything into it. You know, in recent years they begin to talk about, you know, black holes and wormholes and event horizons where if you get too close to that black hole, you get sucked in, you can't escape. Well, you know what? We want, we want a white hole. <laughs> we want a, a kingdom door to open that causes all of our reluctance to fade away. All of our reservation, all of our consideration for our dignity and our self-importance to melt before him and to give him the glory due his name. How, I mean, that, that, that sinkhole I saw when I was that age, it was huge. It took in half a town. I wonder how big a door we could open. Is there a door big enough that could pull in the whole of this city that suddenly people in their homes miles away would begin to feel the urgency to give glory to the one who lives forever i mean we're starting right here in this room we're we're breaking through our own limitations but the objective is not to stop with this room the objective is that this whole region this whole northern part of alberta all of edmonton all of parkland county would be drawn into a place where we cannot accept give him glory i believe it's coming i believe it's inevitable and so let's get on board with that today amen if you're watching online whichever camera's acting. Let's get on board with that. We need, we need to learn to give everything to him. And so we're going to continue in just a minute, but I want to take this opportunity to welcome you. If you're visiting Community Church here in Spruce Grove, well, thanks for being here with us. It's a special day. It's New Year's Eve, and tomorrow we begin a new year. For many of us, that may seem like a, a good time to start new habits. Well, every day is a good time to start new habits, good habits. But, you know, if you haven't 
yesterday, if you didn't this morning, let's plan on today and tomorrow. Amen? So, Father, I pray that as we continue to worship you today, that, Father, we could give you the glory that's due your name. He is worthy. You know, if I can think of anything that I want to do for the year 2024, it's this. The word says, if we draw closer to the Father, he will draw closer to us. If there's one thing that I want to do in 2024, it's to draw closer to the Father. Can we make that our New Year's resolution this year? That I choose to draw closer to the Father. Can we say amen to that? I mean, that is the very thing. Whether this is your first time in church or your 50th time in church, if you draw closer to Him, your life will change. He will transform you. He will heal you. He will restore you. He'll restore the ones around you. He'll bring salvation to your kids. He'll provide for you because that's who he is. Let's stretch our hands up for a minute. Hallelujah. You know, I, uh, I have some mixed thoughts right now about what we should be doing. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Just lean in for a second. Holy Spirit. I started writing down some of these lyrics because I just felt there was such significance in some of the songs that we were singing. And, uh, and they articulate what I believe is the heart of God. And uh, so I'm praying today, Father, in Jesus' name, Father, may we fully grasp in this new year the extent of what it is that you mean to do. Father, I ask in Jesus' name that uh, open our hearts, Father, open our hearts today. Thank you, Lord. Uh, so we, we, we were reading that, uh, singing that song, and I was looking for the, I couldn't find the whole text but we have seen enough of the chariots of men. We have seen the nations as they rage. We have seen their idols that cannot speak. I can't remember the rest of the one. I couldn't find it after that. Or speak or something or move. Um, and the, 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 the sentiment there is, God, we want an interruption. We're asking for an interruption. And most of the time when we do that, historically the church is saying, God, we want you to come and interrupt our lives, interrupt the affairs of our nation. We want you to change our culture. We want you to appear on college campuses and in boardrooms. And, and these are the things we want, want to see happen. Do you know what God's answer to that desire is? That's what I'm trying to do. And you are the answer to that cry. <laughs> 
You are the answer to that cry, that, that I sent my son Jesus. And this whole thing began, this, this kingdom was inaugurated when Jesus came on the earth and walked the nation of Israel in the midst of a moral system that was superior to every moral system of the earth. And his message was plain and simple. Is this thing that you have elevated to be, the, to be what you think is the peak of human morality is nothing. Like compared to what God intended, you, you don't even understand. And your problem is you're so fixated upon this. You, you, you are in a place of idolatry and delusion about what I, mean, what I meant to do. And so what God has meant to do is to manifest something so high above what a good person can do that there is no comparison worthy to be made. You know, and I, uh, last night I was falling asleep and I was thinking about this picture and as I, I think about these things a lot and I, I, I think about how we get stuck. We get stuck and we get stuck in trying to be good. We get stuck in being marginally better than the next person and then celebrating that marginal difference to the point where we just worship the version of the thing that we've done. And, and I was thinking about the incremental difference between most of us. I mean, I'm not a tall man. And, uh, and if you put, if you put, you know, somebody who's six foot four, what are you, Paul, six foot four? Around there, five, six foot five? Don't you dare call me six foot four. (laughs) No, we wanted to be accurate, I'm just giving you a hard time. Six foot five. You put him next to me, and you know, he looks like a giant. And you know, that, that contrast can seem pretty meaningful, unless you're standing on the moon. Unless you're looking from the sun, unless you're on the other side of the galaxy, unless you've traveled across the heavens to the furthest galaxies, then all of a sudden that margin of difference between the very least of us and the very greatest of us is almost nothing. What am I getting at? The difference between the very best of us morally and the very worst of us morally is about that much. I mean, that's what Jesus was coming to say. You know, you Pharisees, you, you think you're so great because you, you have these disciplines. You're so ambitious, you have given yourself to restraining all of the human impulses that I know you have that are bubbling underneath the surface that come out occasionally, which you find reasons to dismiss, but, but you are very, there's no difference between you and the worst of your culture. They did not like that. We don't, we never like that. It's like, seriously, I, I, do you know, do you know the price I've paid to be a Pharisee? Do you know the disciplines I've imposed on my life? I mean, how can you talk like that? Who do you think you are? We, we have all this, we, we are the chosen ones. We are the covenant people. We are so special in the eyes of God. And he's saying, no, no, no. This version of yourself that you've produced is so far below what he's envisioned. So far below. 
But you have to tap into a whole other system of power. What, what I'm looking for are sons of God. What I'm looking for is an entire generation that transformed and looks like Jesus, walks like Jesus, does the things that Jesus did. So the fact that you succeeded in not swearing at that guy when he cut you off in, in traffic, the fact that you gave an extra $2 to the Salvation Army at Christmas, the fact that you, you, know, you, you, you cut your lawn better than anybody else in your neighborhood, the fact that you cry when dogs die <laughs> is a meaningless level of morality, but we, we find this way to elevate ourselves, to convince ourselves that we are somehow fulfilling something of the desire of God, either that or we go, the pendulum swings the whole other way and we're nothing and we're, we're dirt and we can't even lift up our heads from the ground. We can't even look up because we're, so, we're such wormy figures. And we think that somehow by basking in our worminess that that will create the pity of God. They say, look, look, and he, he, he fully recognizes how destitute he is. And what Jesus is saying, you who are the most destitute and you who are the best of humanity, neither of you are very far apart. That's the message. That's the message. Well, well, then what is it? What are we looking for? What I talked about when I got up during the worship. We're looking for a door to open that will cause the resources, the splendor, the beauty, the immense glory of God to enter the realm of the earth. The, what you can do in the dark by shifting your darkness, because that's all you're doing. That's all you're doing when you're being morally good I mean, there, don't get me wrong. Are you saying there's nothing redemptive in what we do? No, but the point is there are things, there is, there's moral goodness that comes out of effort and there's moral goodness that comes out of transformation. But 90% of what the church has is moral goodness out of effort. And God is saying, who wants transformation? How badly do you want it? How much do you want it? Or are you, in a word, self-satisfied? Self-satisfied. That's what happens. Like, you get to the place, you know, you, you start out on this journey, you think, okay, there's these things about myself I like to be, see changed, and you, you work your way through so that you're not doing the worst of those things. You're like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm measuring up pretty good as compared to all the other fallen beings. <laughs> <laughs> But what, what does the Bible say? It says, when you compare yourselves with yourselves, you demonstrate that you have no understanding. So Jesus comes to the earth, exhibits not just, uh, not just a different morality because the version that he practiced was not even the version that, that was you know, appreciated amongst the Pharisees. He did all the wrong things. He didn't even emphasize the things they emphasized. So that, such that they said, well, you're, you don't even care about morality because you're hanging out with sinners. You're walking with Gentiles. You're, you're, you're letting your disciples eat with unwashed hands. How dare you? Like, do you have no regard? 
And we're not going to go into the purpose of the law, but I, I want this contrast to be clear to us. The contrast is what God is looking for from us is far more than any of us can furnish. And what he's trying, I keep coming back to this same message, but I don't, I'm trying not to preach it. I'm trying to get past this message. But what he's trying to do is to get you dissatisfied with the very best version of yourself that you can bring to the front so that you can begin to cross over that threshold into the impossible, into the invisible, into the ethereal, into the heavenly, into the glorious. That's what's available. And so what we're singing here is like, we have seen enough of the chariots of men. What does that say? We've seen enough of good people doing good things. We, we've seen enough of the best that humanity can bring forth. It's still falling far below the mark. And, and so I, uh, I feel like we're coming to an age, 2024 is right around the corner, hours away. And what does it signify? I'm not going to say that we're going to see necessarily the fullness of the generation of Jacob, the ones that seek his face, but we are entering a dimension of time when the sons of God are starting to emerge into maturity. And it's not a maturity that comes from suppressing what you really think. It's not a, it's, it doesn't come from, I, I want so much to measure up and to people to like me that I'm, I'm doing, I'm, 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 I'm turning down the dial on all the things I do wrong. All the, I'm gonna not talk too much. I'm gonna not be an, annoying. I'm not gonna not be intrusive. I'm not gonna be uh, abrasive anymore. Well, great, don't do those things. And that'll make you easier to live with, but it won't make you a glorious one. And what you're called to be is a glorious one. And so when we're singing a song like this, we're actually saying, God, we want more than what our humanity can furnish. We want more than what the best efforts have been. We want more than what, what a, uh, a powerful ambition can do. I mean, this is essentially what we're seeing in the earth right now. God is trying to take the veil off of human accomplishments to say the very best that man can do is create a veneer that is false. Because always underneath that veneer is utter, complete, diabolical selfishness, which in itself is a gate of hell. That's the very best you can do. But we don't really believe that. And so part of our journey right now is God's trying to say, yeah, that's, that's what's there. But we somehow, we keep falling into this trap of, you know, I, I just, I, if I try harder, it's the thought that counts. No, it isn't. <laughs> well, there's another song we were singing there, and I, I, I love it as well, because to me, it is this cry for divine intervention. It is this cry that mortality would be swallowed up by immortality. It is this cry that death at work in us would be consumed by life and that something could come forth that is altogether uh, a quantum leap above the very best version of obedience. 
So the song goes like this. You are good, you are good, and your love endures. But then the verse says this. Lord, let your glory fall. As on that ancient day, songs of enduring love, and then your glory came. And as a sign to you that we would love the same, our hearts will sing that song, God let your glory come. And it may be that some of us are sitting here today and we're thinking, you know, I'm kind of new to the Pentecostal, charismatic, revival, uh, apostolic ministry world. I'm not sure what this preoccupation with revival is really about. I, I don't understand. You know, because we're just, we're just trying to be good. We're trying to be a good witness to our, our neighbors. We're trying to be a good witness to the city. We're trying to be nice, you know, because Christians are nice. We want to be polite. We want to be pleasant. We want to be easy to uh, talk to. We want to be approachable. Yes and no. No in the sense that that's not enough. That's not even coming close to what it is we're supposed to be. And if that's all we succeed in doing is being polite, being nice, being orderly, being, being productive as community members, we have not done anything. Realize what Jesus did. He came to the very best civilization, morally speaking, on the face of the earth. There was nothing in that compared to the Jewish religious system. I mean, there was no law, there was no code, there was no ethic as, as pure and, and as helpful to humanity as what they were doing. And what was the message? This is entirely insufficient. So are we barking up the wrong tree when the majority, the lion's share of our efforts are just to curb our real desires. Yes, we are. What we're looking is for our real desires to be supplanted by something that's impossible, something that's unearthly, something that's heavenly. This is the promise. He said, I will come and I will write my law upon your heart. I will put my nature inside of you and you will act out who you really are with such power that it will change your world. That's the version of this thing that God is looking for. Mark, you're just too critical. <laughs> I'm critical of me. I'm, I'm critical of human decency, human goodness, human... See, unless, unless we don't get this message, we will never be able to evangelize. And I've talked about this before, because you've got good neighbors, neighbors that are better than you. And you're thinking, how can, how can I tell them they're going to hell? Like, they're the best people I know. <laughs> yeah, on, on that basis, a lot of people should be going to heaven that we believe aren't going to heaven. So how do you reconcile that reality? Through the actual message that Jesus brought. There's none good, not one. <laughs> wow. What do you mean? Just that. There's none good, no, not one. So why then do we struggle? Because we actually are not walking in the righteousness of God. We're still stuck, like the Pharisees, trying to curate a righteousness of our own that's based on the powers we can bring to bear against our, our, our nature. And God is saying, man, I, 
I died. I sent my son, he died. Jesus said, I died so that a whole other life could come up inside of you. And the power of that life is such that just the tiniest drop of it will literally explode and destroy every stronghold in your life. So when you think about what's possible versus this incremental, you know, I'm, I'm trying to be nicer version of Christianity, and he say, no, I, transformation. Transformation. Why aren't people getting saved out there? First of all, because we don't, we're not really sure they even need God. Because they're pretty good people. And we rack it up to say, well, there must be some misunderstanding here. You know, those people, they, like, they give a lot. and They're nice. Look at their lawn. They're kids. They're well-behaved. They're respectful. You know, they, 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 they volunteer for charities. Okay, well, they hate Jesus, but, but other than that. <laughs> Hallelujah. Now, there's so many directions we can go today. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm trying to think of how to go because I opened up a, a door here, and I have two messages in mind. And maybe I'll go with uh, the second one. There's a scripture in, uh, there's a scripture in Psalm 106. Can I have my, uh, my puppets? Yes. Let's see, can you open that for me? This is not Kermit the Frog, the green is wrong. Jabba the Frog, yeah. All right. I wanna give you a sense of something here. When, I guess they're both puppets, there's a room for a hand in here. And there's room for a hand in here. But I just want you to notice the size difference. This is Big Bird. <laughs> and this is Formidable Frog. Uh, and they represent something, which I'll come to in a minute. But enjoy them. There's a passage in Psalms when it's talking about the journey of Israel. Because we need to realize that what we're in right now started a long time ago. And we know this. We know that Abraham was chosen and the offspring of Abraham, you know, were taken into Egypt, taken into captivity. And all along the way, of course, it creates confusion because uh, nobody understands, like, what, what is exactly supposed to be happening? You know, God calls Abraham. Abraham believes. He creates this offspring. They're God's special people. And then bad things happen to them. And, and it's like we're, they're in slavery for 400-plus years, and they come out of there, and they're kind of ups and downs and ups and downs. Like, what is exactly going on here? And so you have this moment where God explains. He gives them a snapshot of of uh, what was wrong with them, and it's in Psalm 106, and verse, mm, let me see, I'll start reading in verse eight. No, verse nine. It says, he rebuked the Red Sea also. You don't remember some of these stories that they're referring to in the history, history of Israel, but I'll, 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 I'll wrap it up here in a second. So he led them through the depths and uh, through the wilderness, and he saved them from the hand of him who hated them. And he redeemed them from the land of the enemy. The waters covered their enemies. There was not one of them left. They, 
Then they believed his words and they sang his praise. Oh, hallelujah. This is good. You know, and you have these moments when all of a sudden the nation, like, oh God, you're really good. Verse 13. Then they soon forgot his works. Okay, that's about par for the course. They did not wait for his counsel, but lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tested God in the desert. Here's the verses I want to talk about. And then he gave them their requests, but sent leanness into their soul. He gave them, so they're in the wilderness, and the scenario is this, they're, they don't have the things they normally like. So what, one of their complaints is, all day long, all we get is this manna to eat, and there's no flavor. There's, we'd like some salt and pepper, please. You know, we'd like some garlic. We'd like, you know, so they, well, some onions, some chives, please. You know, at least, you know, we can maybe pretend it's a baked potato. And, uh, and, and, and they were... They were not satisfied by the diet that God was given, so they begin to ask for more. And God says, all right, all right, you want more? So he sends them quail, he sends them meat. But in response, he sends leanness of soul to them. What is the significance of that? And how does that relate to everything I just said? Well, I don't know. I'm just kidding. I do know. <laughs> when God chose Abraham, and his descendants, what he had in mind for Israel is what I was just talking about. What he had in mind for them was transformation. What he had in mind for them, but he, he knew this would unfold over generations and it was gonna take generations for the, this to unfold. But in his mind, in his desire, he, he was preparing a generation like no other generation. And so he's moving them through history and every generation is a part of this journey. But at the very beginning, what he desired is that he would have a people who are willing to be changed, who are willing to be transformed, who are willing and capable of aspiring to the vision of what he wants them to be. That's the reality. And so the battle throughout the ages and throughout history and the clashes between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light is both kingdoms are trying to have their vision of mankind realized. And the vision of mankind from the eyes of God is a giant people, is a glorified people, is people who are transformed into the likeness of their son. Now, on the other side, the enemy, uh, his, his desire for you is, is not only the opposite. In fact, the best illustration I can think of is Ursula. Remember Ursula? Do you know, you know who Ursula is? Ursula was the queen witch of, in Little Mermaid, you know, Little Mermaid. And she was trying to turn the inhabitants of the seas into little nymphs, little wormy-like figures that grew on logs or something. You know, was, and that's and that's the that's what the enemy thinks of humanity. You are worthless pieces of flesh and nothing more. And so, what flows out of that mindset is this horrific contempt for humanity whereas God is saying no I want you to bring you up into something 
but I can't find anybody hardly that can appreciate the vision of what you could be. And, and so all through history, you have moments when people come into a, an expression that is beginning to resemble the sons of God. And I, if I was prepared a little more, I could talk about some of those, but it would take too long. But let me give you just an example of one. Jonathan, the son of, of uh, Saul, He's out there fighting, and they're under the heel of the enemy. They're under the heel of the Philistines. They're not even allowed to own a sword. You know, have you ever heard of such a, a place where you couldn't even have, you know, a, a weapon to, to defend your own home? Where, where the things I would use to, you know, to repel enemies and thieves and everything, you're not even allowed to own those? Can you imagine a system so horrific? where the people are so enslaved they couldn't own a, a knife or a sword or a gun. <laughs> it's like hell, yeah. <laughs> so this is the level of enslavement that Israel is under. And, uh, and Jonathan, one day, he starts to believe God and he's, he's there with his armor bearer. They got two swords in the whole civilization. Like his dad's got a sword, he's got a sword. So he says to his armor bearer, I don't know what an armor bearer does when there are no, no armaments, but, but the armor bearer's with him and, he, and he, they see this garrison of the Philistines and they say, I think we got this. <laughs> There's two of us, but God is with us. And, and what's happening is his mind is thinking above what a man can do. He wasn't thinking, you know, I'm pretty fast. You know, I'm pretty good with a sword. I've been practicing all week. <laughs> no, he was, he was looking for an intervention. He was looking for a heavenly door to open and the eternal power of God and his glory to intervene with special abilities and grace in this moment, and so that's what happens. That's what happens. And down through history, now, let me, let me before I get ahead, one of the greatest significant moments is, is they're actually, when they defeat them, there's a moment where the earth begins to quake, rumble, there's an earthquake. And the whole Philistine army begins to melt away. Now, and so, so they're, they're starting to melt away. But the earthquake is an indicator that this is not just a physical feat of enormous value. Something heavenly intervene in the earth. So you have this happen at different times down through the ages. And it's speaking of a day that would come. It's foreshadowing of a full generation of an age when the people of God would come into the fullness and begin to bring down upon the earth all of the powers of the heavenly domain. Healing, resurrection, atmosphere, glory, power. Uh, I mean, uh, unbelievable manifestations of the presence of God. So when you contrast that against the people that can be nice and sit still and say the right things. No, 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 this is, this is way below what I intended for you. And so what the enemy's doing is, all through history, he's, like, he's trying to get us, no, don't believe it, that's a lie. No, you, you, the best you can do is just not sin very much. 
And so we'll create a system where you can alleviate your guilt by telling somebody about it, and they'll, you know, they'll suspend the, you know, the consequences of that through an act of divine propitiation, you know, uh, ceremonially speaking. And God is saying, no, 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 none of this, none of this, down through church history, none of this men in the mud, barely able to lift up their heads is what I intended. I have made provision for resurrection. I have made provision that your mortality and your fallenness would literally be obliterated by the power of God in your life. So if you're not experiencing that, lift up your eyes. Because we have seen enough, heaven says, of the chariots of men. Now, this is the destiny that Israel was called to. And God is calling them. And, but here's, what he, here's, the, here's, the, here's the analogy. He's saying, okay, I have a system. I have a training program that I can subject you to that will change you into another man, that will change you into another woman, that will cause abilities to suddenly appear in your life that are not only better than anything you've seen, they're inhuman abilities. That's what they are. Can you believe for that? Are you willing to stay in the program until that manifests in your life? Can you be dissatisfied until that comes forward? And along the way, an occasional person sort of begins to exhibit that unusual power. And so you have all the revivalists, you have all these apostles down through, you know, the first age of the church. You have Charles Finney, you have William Branham, you have, you know, evangelists and, and uh, servants of God all the way through who, who, I mean, they're not just good leaders, not just talented, they're not just, they actually, the powers of heaven are flowing through their lives. They are not meant to be an anomaly. They are meant to be a reminder to every generation. This is what you are called to. This is not meant to be the exception. It's only the exception because I can't get a generation to submit to my training. That's the message. And so God comes to Israel and says, all right, we're going to do this thing. But they kept opting out. You know, we really like garlic. We really like onions. We really like our, our recipes back when we were in Egypt. And so he said, we want this uh, desire to be satisfied. He said, okay, but realize you're making a choice. Well, I didn't even explain it to him, but what he did is he just sent leanness of soul into them. Now, what is leanness of soul, you might ask? This is leanness of soul. This is my best illustration of leanness of soul. You've got, see, this guy here has girth. He has weight, so to speak. It is, you know, imagine, imagine if somebody this size, as opposed to this size, jumps in a puddle of water. They're going to make a bigger splash, right? That's, that's what happens. And so God is saying, here's, here's what I'd like to do. I want to refine you. I want to refine you so that what comes through your life is glory instead of evil. Light instead of darkness. Heaven instead of hell. That's what, I, and the amount of substance that you are is the room that I have to work. That's the bandwidth I have, is, is how, how much capacity you have. See, leanness of soul has to do with capacity of soul.
And leanness of soul is less than fatness of soul. So somebody with a fat soul has greater capacity. I remember when I was young and I started noticing this dynamic. I, as a young Christian, I, I noticed that I could say some things in certain situations and people would get very mad, very annoyed, very irritated at me. And others would say the same thing and it wouldn't bother anybody. And I'm thinking, God, well, what is it about me that makes me so abrasive? Am I really that bad? And it took a lot of years before the Lord began to show me. In fact, I didn't even see it till I started discipling John Lowndes. And when I saw John Lowndes, then all started to make sense. And I thought, man, he is really annoying. He has an, an abrasive capacity. Like, and I'm watching him in different situations. He comes to my dad's house, and my dad invites him in the house, says, hey, come on in, you know, have a good time, hang out, you know, there's the TV. And suddenly, he, he pushes the wrong button on the TV, and my dad's yelling at him. And I'm thinking, you know, his, his transgression was not that great. You know, what is it, what, what is it about him that causes people to pour indignation out on him? People who do the exact same error are not vilified the same way. Why is that? Fatness of soul. See, when this guy runs into you, right, it has a big effect. When that guy runs as hard as he can, you get the analogy? Big people are hard to push over. Big people, you know, who are a little clumsy are way more annoying than small people who are a little clumsy. Bull in a china shop comes to mind. What God is saying to Israel in this idea is he's saying instead of leanness of soul, I'm sorry, instead of fatness of soul, I'm going to give you leanness of soul. So what I'm really doing is I'm reducing your potential. I'm reducing your capacity. I'm reducing the amount of weight that you can come. Because it's like this. It's like if you've got three hours to get a meal ready and you should have put the turkey in at 8 o'clock in the morning because it's a 20-pound turkey and you got people coming over, well, you're going to zip out and get yourself a three-pound chicken. Because in the time slot between here and there, you can cook a three-pound chicken, but you can't get a 20-pound turkey ready. So here's the, here's the idea. Is this clear yet? Well, the idea is this, is that God is saying, I have a program to change you, but if you keep opting out of the program, I'm going to keep downgrading your potential. Really, I have the means to make you into something that's unbelievable. But if you keep opting out of the training by saying, and I want this, and I want this, and I want to nurture unforgiveness. I want to hate my, my in-laws. I want to, I want to not, uh, you know, I, I want to be rude. I want to, I want to, you know, hold on to this unforgiveness. God is saying, okay. Cut a little bit off the top of your destiny. Cut a little more off the top of your destiny. Cut a little more off the top of your destiny. These are all choices you are making. I have an unimaginable expression of God and the kingdom to come through you, but you keep opting out of the training. And the training is transforming who you are 
getting to the bottom of the things that drive you and eliminating them. And so now God is gracious. He does, he's not throwing us into hell because we're not cooperating that way. He just say, no, your importance to my work is gonna just diminish because I just can't trust you with these things because for what I was gonna use you took a certain quality of godliness. Now you've excluded yourself from that and I can't transform you because every time I try to put my finger on some deep selfishness, you keep blaming somebody. You go, well, it's my wife. Well, it's, it's the job. If only I had more money, if I didn't live in this confounded country, if we had a better economy, if our government was more amenable. Like all the ways that we defend our ungodliness our lack of transformation, we are actually saying, I am going to limit my destiny. Destiny, Because God is looking at your life and saying, well, I got 40 years left, I got 30 years left, I got 20 years left. Yeah, well, you know, okay, mm-hmm, 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 okay. Uh, janitor, spiritually speaking. You went from being a prince to a janitor. And one day we're all gonna stand before the Lord. We're gonna see all the ways that we said no, 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 no. Even in all the time we're going, God, why aren't you doing more with my life? God, why aren't you, you know, I feel this sense of calling. I feel this sense of, you know, superiority. I, I think I'm more dedicated. I think I'm more godly. I think I'm more, the, and, and yet it doesn't transpire. I, I'm suddenly, you know, I, I'm here at the end of my life. I haven't realized any of these dreams. I haven't become this significant spiritual figure. I haven't impacted the earth. And God, what it, why not? And one day he'll just, in a second, show you all the ways yeah, well, you know, when you, when you toyed with that resentment for four weeks longer than you should have, you built, not only did you waste four weeks of the training, but you built a pattern which decreased my ability to work in your life by three or four years. Maybe, maybe you shouldn't have done that. Well, I remember the pastor preaching about that, but I thought it was just legalism. I thought I was, I was like, you know, well, you, you got to be reasonable. People are going to be resentful and unforgiving, you know. Well, give me time. I'll work through it. But a week becomes a month. A month becomes a year. And a year becomes a lifetime. And all these undealt things, you're still going to heaven. And God will use you as much as he can. But the destiny that you are called to is diminished, not because he chose, but because we chose. Now, what's the alternative? The alternative is this. First of all, we start to believe. First of all, we start to believe, and rather than, you know, doubting when somebody is walking in amazing anointing, doubting the validity of what they're doing, let's start believing that God chose them. I mean, even Jesus said, he said, man can receive nothing unless it, re it comes to him from heaven. But yet we somehow believe that all the anointed ministers that God has called are insufficient to the task and really God should have called us. I should have been Benny Hinn. I should have been that revivalist. I should have been that wealthy, you know, magnet that, uh, that traveled the earth and had jets and everything. I should have. Believe. 
believe. I'd love to go into some of the scriptures today, but the potential that God has for the least of us is greater than we've ever seen anybody walk in. Like, you know, sometimes we sit here in this cultural system of church as we've got it, we think, oh, oh, it'd be nice to be half of what that person is. Be nice to be able to have that ability while they sing so nicely. God is saying, listen, never mind talent. I've got orders of, of global anointing. I mean, I've got melting the earth, melting like wax kind of glory. I've held in reserve. I'd like to put it on somebody. And you want to be able to sing like that person, really? Why would you set your gaze so low? But all these things that cause us to see others distinguished, that we wish we had that quality, that characteristic, that ability, that talent, we're missing the point. Because he's saying, oh, what I could do with you. Oh, what I could do with you, son or daughter. Oh, what I could do with you. Let's start believing. Let's start believing, you know, and well, I'm called to more than what I'm doing right now. Well, good. Be faithful at what you have right now. And then start growing in this commodity called the glory of God that should sh- can shine through you. And there are choices to be made on a daily basis. But God has us in a training program that is, all, by all heavenly accounts, very successful. <laughs> it's a recruitment and training program that cannot go wrong unless the intended individuals opt out. Let's stand up together. We want to say today, I believe. I want, to, I want you to begin to think. I'm believing for anointing. I'm, a, I'm believing for Jonathan courage, Jonathan obedience, and earthquake melting of the enemies kind of thing appearing in my life. I'm looking for the supernatural. I'm looking for words of knowledge. I'm looking for anointing to come on my life so that when I'm talking to people at work, they can't dismiss what I'm saying. I'm, I'm looking for an ability to open a door so that a vortex of life pulls people into a place of revelation and knowledge and worship of God, even when they don't even know what they're doing. Lastly, Father, forgive me for elongating the training period by, by being unwielding. By being unwilling to come under your discipline. And blaming everybody else in my life for things not going well for me. Father, I want to declare today that you are the author and finisher of our faith. And Lord, you can do with us exactly what you mean to do if only we cooperate. So Father, we say from now on, we're not going to blame and point the finger at anybody else. Father, we submit to the program of God. Now, we're going to close today by celebrating communion. We're going to eat the bread, drink the juice. We're short on wine. We're going to drink the juice and eat the bread or the cracker, or whatever comes. And uh, we're going to remember that he paid our way into this program. He made it possible for us to be elect. He made it possible for us to be chosen. He made it possible for us to have a different mind, to have a healed soul, 
Man, if you, if, if you, I feel like, I feel like the depth of what God is offering us is not really being understood. The dullness on us is keeping us from comprehending the richness of what we're being offered. So the guys are just beginning to pass out the emblems, the juice, and the bread. And we're gonna take it together in just a few minutes. But just, can, you, can we lean in to this? It's not about being condemned. Because there's still time. There's lots of time left for your life to be different. And whatever time was wasted in the past, that's in the past. But today, today, I want to deal with the patterns in my life. Today, thank you, Lord Jesus. Do you know what this gives us? Legal access. The bread and the wine gives you legal access. Legal access doesn't change you. Only access changes you. <laughs> we are transformed as we see him. Worship is a chance to see him. Prayer is a chance to see him. Fasting is a chance to see him. Volunteering to serve is a chance to see him. Evangelizing is a chance to see him. Risking is a chance to see him. We're changed by seeing him. This gives us the right to see him. The right to enter. When the veil is broken, when the veil was torn down after Jesus died, it says access has been made available. So these things say whatever's wrong with you, whatever sin is in your life, whatever defilements and whatever evil that you have lived either the whole rest of your life or this last week is inconsequential if you enter by this way. If you come close to God through the blood and through the bread, through the body of Jesus Christ and through his blood, all those things don't matter anymore. The question is though, are we coming closer? Are we availing ourselves of those opportunities? This is not just to defray or delay or to put off the guilt you feel for not being the Christian you think you should have been. That's great. It's a nice thing to have, no guilt. But then no guilt means I can draw near with boldness. So on the day that he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body given for you. Let's take it. He said this, this cup is the blood of the new covenant. It's the wine of the new covenant. Though your sins are as scarlet, they'll be white as snow. What does it give you? Access. It wipes away all the guilt, all the sense of debt, all the emotions around what you have not been comes under the blood. Let's drink together. Just before you leave today, we want to do this. Is I know that there are people in this house today who need prayer. I know there's stuff that's gone on in your life. 
I know some of you may have come into this church today saying, you know what, I just need some hope today. And today's message, just so we know, I know it's a challenging message, but it's actually a hopeful message. Because as we draw closer to the Father, something does begin to shift. And when that transformation begins to take place in our life, we now have the ability to bring transformation to the world around us. And that is such a beautiful thing. That's what we want. And so God, may you shift us, may you change us. Where we've drawn close to our comforts, where we've drawn close to the things that just don't matter, God, shift our heart because we truly want to draw close to you because that's when transformation takes place. And so if you have a need this morning, I just want you to raise your hand, whether it's financial, whether it's physical, whether you're thinking of your kids or you're thinking of a loved one that you know, whatever your need is, just lift it up to Jesus right now and I'm going to pray for you because I believe that God wants to touch those needs. And as I look around right now, I see so many needs. And so right now, Father God, you see these needs. You see into the heart of each person into this church. You see right now, God, the very thing that they're lifting up to you. And Father, right now we know by the power of the Holy Spirit, you can bring healing. You can bring restoration. You can bring provision. God, that you can come and you can begin to touch loved ones, whether it's kids or grandparents or moms or dads or cousins neighbors whatever the need is today god we know that you can do it so father our hands are extended for this reason we extend it to you the king of kings and the lord of lords and we say father have your way in jesus name can we say amen